0: You are listening to Analyze Asia with Bernard Leung, the podcast dedicated to interview thought leaders and industry players to understand and dissect the pulse of technology, media and business in Asia. The show is sponsored by Ideal Workspace, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. You can visit their website, idealworkspace.com. Hi Vinnie. Hey, Bernard. How are you doing? Uh, really good.
1: It's been an interesting week. I think I've been in three different cities in the past
0: week and a half. We are talking to Vinnie Laurier, partner in Golden Gate Ventures, based in Singapore, but I think he invests across Southeast Asia. So Vinnie, tell us your story.
1: Sure. So I've been out in the region a little over four years now. One year of that was actually backpacking. So my wife, Christine, and I spent 13 months just on the road exploring not with the intention of moving here but just new adventures for us but every time we went into a city or you know a new country we were always looking at what's going on in the startup scene because that's kind of what we knew to connect with so i ended up eating probably dinner or having lunches with over 100 startups across a dozen countries and just ended up getting really really attracted to southeast asia and everything that was happening here
0: and when we talk about christine she was one of our guests in one of the episodes to talk about the startup ecosystem and so to draw the connection back so So you started off as a consultant from ibm then after that you left what what do you do after that
1: basically ended up in san francisco like a lot of people do was living in a hostel in downtown san francisco which show was that which hostel it was in the mission district the Tropicana.
0: and And actually I maybe probably didn't uh, pronounce properly. Which year was it?
1: That was in 2004, Mm -hmm. so 11 years ago.
0: That was when Facebook just started, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think it was. Uh, Facebook was just open for EDU colleges at the time. That's basically why I moved out. Like I could see things starting to pick up again. Like MySpace is very popular. You know, there was this, when I was in college, that was the dot-com boom. So all these huge companies were being formed. I graduated 2002, you know, right after the dot-com crash or kind of as it was crashing. So there was this basically lull for four years and then it started picking up again. And that's, you know, I went out west like many people of search for exciting opportunities.
0: So that was the period where the Web 2.0 movement started. How how was it like
1: then? It was awesome. I loved it. I mean, so my first company, Mitro, we were seven guys living in a three-bedroom apartment. We lived above some Facebook guys. They weren't the founders, but some early employees of Facebook. Many of them were still there uh, and very wealthy for it. And it was just a really great time. So for me, it was like going to Hollywood. You know, the first time I went to Michael Arrington's house, he used to throw parties at his house all the time. This was when TechCrunch was, he used to be a lawyer and TechCrunch literally started as him being a lawyer, writing kind of a tech blog and what was going on and it started getting some traction, getting popular. So very, very early days. But to me, it was Hollywood because I would read about all these companies, and I knew about them, and I used them. But then to like interact and have drinks with the founders, I, I really felt like I was in Hollywood, and it was amazing. So this is like 2004, 2005, and the atmosphere was very vibrant. You basically had an older generation where you know, they physically weren't old, but they were from, you know, web 1.0 days. And a few of them were kind of turned off, uh, not wanting to do something, but a good number of them had taken enough years break that they wanted to bounce back in and start something. Like good examples would be Ted Reingold of dogster.com, which was a social network for dogs. Some of the podcasting and blogging platforms that come that were came about then were through second time. Entrepreneurs, So it was a very exciting time of you kind of had this older generation starting really new stuff and, you know, getting a pool of people excited and you had fresh talent from all around the globe that was landing in Silicon Valley, San Francisco, wide, eyes wide open just saying, I want to do something
0: and then after that for you you started uh, the first company what happened yeah.
1: first company Metro, was a location aware chat i actually got to meet a whole bunch of uh noc kids during the few years that we built that out because we would throw these massive house parties and it was close to stanford we were in palo alto mm-hmm. um and we ended up raising money on that company had some pretty good growth in a few different cities but ultimately had to shut it down in 2007 because we didn't have the sort of growth that investors were looking for to get a next round of funding.
0: So when you talk about NOC, you are talking about the NUS overseas college students, right? That's, that's correct. And little yeah. did I know how much people like Gwen Vinod of Money Smart that I met, you know, like 10
1: years ago, that oddly enough would get reconnected with them back in Singapore. And now I'm great friends with them.
0: Mm. And then after that, you started another company?
1: That's correct. So after shutting down Mitro, the kind of core team, we started another company together, which was a forum hosting service. And that basically came about from we were already in the kind of chat and space. But what we wanted to do was avoid all the problems we ran into, which was something that was local based, because that's really hard to scale growth. Uh, At the time, now this is a different game. We also wanted to get off of mobile at the time and have something that was uh, web-based, which again would be counterintuitive now, but back then mobile wasn't as readily adopted. I mean, the iPhone wasn't even invented. There was no smartphone, so it was a very different world. And we wanted to remove ourselves from real-time communication chat. And so forums are asynchronous. You know, Somebody can post one day and a few hours later, somebody posts and it's a conversation that's going on. So we kind of stayed in the same realm, but it was way more than a pivot. It was a completely new company, very, very different service offering, very different customers. And that did quite well because we hit on a pain point. We basically developed a product that people needed. Our competitors were like open source software, but there wasn't any main like web 2.0 type of company that was doing what we were doing. So it made it very easy for us to have very rapid growth early on.
0: With that, you is- Then you got acquired, and then after that, you started traveling.
1: Correct. Yeah, so so we were out in the market for a few years. One of our partners that we were working with, Crowdgatherer, ended up, we actually got an acquisition offer from another company. Uh, When that happened, we started basically talking to some people that we were close with, Crowdgatherer being one of them. Uh, They put in uh, what we thought was a... a lucrative acquisition offer we also liked the terms which was we didn't have to join the company for two years we were able to kind of work remotely and we had an earn out based on the performance of the site so that was attractive to us and yeah that was acquired in 2010 and that's what allowed me to kind of take some time off and this is where i I think christine all the time that you know when the company was acquired I Didn't really want to leave San Francisco because there's always so much going on that you kind of feel if I unplug from it I'm gonna be lost when I come back She was the one with like who is really gung-ho if we don't leave now We'll never leave because we've been talking about traveling backpacking kind of exploring other parts of the world Um, So just timing wise it worked out and we decided all right, let's pull the plug and make it happen
0: Mm, And that was the start of the urban hikers blog You travel Uh, across Southeast Asia (laughs)
1: Uh, yeah and and east and north uh, like china korea india um so about a dozen countries in asia not all of asia but a lot of asia and we would try to spend a month per country
0: and then you end up starting golden gate ventures yeah uh
1: and so i feel really really fortunate with just how that came about because that wasn't planned um you know when i set off traveling christine and i we actually thought we were going to spend half our time living in like italy and in south america we we didn't even expect to spend a full year in asia um we just got sucked in because it was so different to us we had never been here especially a place like china you know we ended up spending three months in china because we just you know took it all in in terms of everything we had heard and expected was different once we were on the ground and so golden gate ventures literally Came about by accidentally doing customer development in such that I met startups from all these different countries and realized that in China there was a lot of very mature kind of investor startup ecosystem, a lot of money was moving around. In India at the time, uh, you know, 2010, 2011, it was it had already been going on for about two years, but in Southeast Asia, because it's different markets, different languages, cultures, startups, investors, all these different things, it was definitely a challenge for the what I saw for startups to raise money. It was the number one question startups always asked me in 2010, 2011 was, how do I raise money? Who do I talk to? How do I pitch? And so fortunately, during my travels, I met my partner, Jeffrey Payne who is running the Founder Institute. You know, We met just because I saw him running FI. I emailed him. We met for coffee. He kind of had this no bullshit attitude. Uh, he had spent time in the Valley, went to school in California. He kind of had the same sort of approach to building a company that I did. He had been doing some angel investing and just started talking about collaborating and doing something more together. And at that time, my previous co-founder, Paul Bregiel, who's our third partner, he had started, uh, so I I left traveling we were acquired. He started an incubator in San Francisco called IO Ventures. IO had been approached by the Singapore government a few times to actually do something here in Singapore. So just kind of those multiple connections and all of us starting to talk together and brainstorm on what to do, Golden Gate Ventures came about and it really kind of started as almost like a angel incubator, kind of very early stage. But once we started really planning things out, traveling around the region, realizing, I think it was in January 2012 that JFDI launched their incubator, which has been a phenomenally positive force in the region, realized that we were going to set up our model to be venture based, direct investment, not incubation over like a three month period, and that we were going to do it across. Southeast Asia and across many countries
0: and then you raise a, a fund how is the transition from a entrepreneur to a venture capitalist I understand this is a normal career path for most entrepreneurs who have exited
1: you know I would say it doesn't feel like a normal career path I mean I think a lot entrepreneurs are serial entrepreneurs they always want to be climbing that next bigger hill climbing that next bigger mountain and you know i would say in the valley there are definitely a number of entrepreneurs that become angel investors you know once they've had some sort of exit they do direct investing on their own i do think of venture capital as being very different than angel investing i definitely would say on the entrepreneur side it kind of always seems sexy to be on the other side of the table be the investor for me the reason why it was so exciting is it felt very entrepreneurial out here in southeast asia like things were just very young in terms of the ecosystem, you know, it was a blank canvas in terms of lots of things to be painted. If I was in San Francisco, I don't think I would have wanted, I had no plans, no desire at that time to join a VC firm. I kind of expected of, after I was done traveling, I was going to go back, start another company. But the kind of investing formally here attracted me because it felt like another startup. It felt like I was going to be doing something difficult you know we we love the challenge that that's that's where we get excitement to me that was what drew me to venture capital now that i'm in it i feel very very lucky and fortunate and realize that it can be a difficult industry to break into but it was not something i was necessarily looking for as it started kind of presenting itself to
0: me as part of that you also took up the kauffman fellowship yeah which has been an amazing program so yeah maybe you can tell us a little bit about what the kauffman uh, fellowship is about i i know what it is but i know that um a lot of people out there actually would find it interesting if they want to pursue a career in venture capital. So
1: the the Coffin Fellowship is a fellowship program for uh, either venture capitalist or aspiring venture capitalist. I had not heard about it when we first started Golden Gate Ventures. It wasn't until a few months into our fun that I happened to meet the CEO of the program, Phil Wilkham, in Jakarta. Never heard of it. Met him at an event. He was telling me about the program. I was like, wow, this sounds amazing. It's a two-year fellowship for venture capitalists to help venture capitalists based in Palo Alto, the heart of Silicon Valley. That got me excited, and so I went to the website, started reading about it. it, Was like and realized, oh my god, applications are due in two weeks for the next batch, and you have to fill out, it's almost like applying for schools, in terms of you fill out like a, a number of essays, and I haven't written an essay in a very long time, and really have to kind of explain your background and why you wanna be a part of the program. So I remember basically spending three days hunched over, filling out the application. I sent it in, probably about like a month or two later, heard back from them to for an interview, ended up having a few interviews and was accepted into the program. And so that was very exciting for me. The program was phenomenal, not for all the reasons I fully understood going into it. I would say, first and foremost, it's been very much about kind of growing yourself, kind of growing the internal leader inside of you. For that, you know, I didn't even know I needed to look for that and to grow that and it's really helped me do that. It's also been quite utilitarian in the fact that there are a lot of VCs from Silicon Valley. Sometimes our classes are around term sheets, LP concerns with, you know, raising a fund or managing a fund. Um so there's a lot of like practical utility hands-on learning. But the other part is all the anecdotes that you know, they invite these uh, seasoned veterans, you know, people at top-tier firms from the Valley to kind of come in and just share stories of funny stories, anecdotes, things that have gone well, things that have gone terribly, terribly wrong. And I kind of feel like in the two years that I was in the program, I learned about a decade's worth of stuff. So I, I actually just only recently graduated last year. There's a, quite a number of other investors in the region that are, part, are Kauffman Fellows, like Amit of Jungle Ventures, uh, Nick Nash of General General Atlantic out here, and so there's quite a strong representation from Southeast Asia. Yinglan Tan of Sequoia as well. He's a Kaufman fellow. So again, this is a network I'd never heard of, but once I found out about it, very very um, turned on by it. And then they also have a, a special program for basically aspiring VCs. Uh, you know, maybe an MBA student that wants to break into venture capital, and it's kind of a fast track program. Well, they'll take you into the fellowship and try to help you get placed at a firm. If you get placed at a firm, you become a fellow.
0: That has sort of helped you in terms of becoming a venture capitalist, or at least helped you to build the the knowledge base behind it. Tell me a little bit about how you see the venture capital scene in Southeast Asia. I mean, it's very nascent. I think when you come to Singapore at that point in time, Series A venture capital is non-existent. I don't know whether it still exists, but I know you yeah. invest somewhere around that space. And I think Golden Gate Ventures have been a great hallmark. I mean, at least to me in Singapore that you have worked with very successful companies, uh, companies like Carousel. uh In Indonesia, you deal with Bilmer, right? Yep. And you also have a company that went from Singapore to Silicon Valley called Nitrous. And yep. you have other companies like Codapay and 99.co. But let's start from the first company, maybe. Tell me about what, what's your experience of that. Tell me about Redmond. So one, just with all the companies
1: you mentioned, like, yeah. you know, I have the luckiest job in the world. I get to work with amazing entrepreneurs and kind of be on on the sidelines it's part of the growth and a lot of times like people look at the investors but it's you know it's really the the founders of these companies that are doing amazing things redmart is a great example of that we were one of the first investors definitely the first institutional investor but one of the first investors in redmart when i had met with them roger and vikram it was kind of funny when they were pitching me they were quite defensive on a number of questions i was asking to the point where i inter- like interrupted and said like you guys don't need to be defensive like i'm not asking these questions to knock you guys down i'm trying to understand your business i want to know where what customers like what they don't like how they're using their service after kind of a informally digging into that the conversation completely changed and for me you know, one of the reasons we, you know, I set up here, Golden Gate Venture set up here, is that we felt we were looking at startups differently than pre-existing and you know, any existing investors. The landscape has changed. We have some really great firms here now. But at the time, all the investors I had been speaking to were saying, like, you'll never take on fair price, you'll never be able to, you know, manage the costs, you'll never be able to scale. All these sort of things that to me growing up in the US didn't matter. I grew up in a world where small, tiny companies took over and disrupted large giant industries, Amazon.com, eBay, Craigslist, you know, these took on existing industries and scaled and just took them over in such a way that nobody could imagine. So I kind of just grew up through that, you know, second handed. So I was used to seeing a small little company takes an, over an established company and disrupt an existing industry. So I got that part in terms of what they were trying to do. You know, to me, fair price wasn't a competitor to them, because it's a, older company any approach it would have to online experience delivery is outside of its normal operating zone
0: they went all the way now i think they're invested by softbank right the recent 25 million round
1: yeah softbank came in recently 25 million which was huge uh softbank's been a great investor in the region you know alibaba was a huge success for them but that just shows where redmart has come now and not only have they brought in softbank but they've brought in Aguardo uh, Savran, the uh, founder, of fa- co-founder of Facebook. They brought in Garina, gaming company here. So they brought in a lot of formal investors now that early on was very, very difficult for them.
0: So it's a very good case of what Paul Graham said about do things that don't that don't seem to look like it can be scaled, and then it, it basically define its own category. Yes. What about Carousel? Carousel. So that's I right. had Carousel. I always like yes. Caruso. I don't know why. That's, that's fine. <laughs> uh, they,
1: they wouldn't mind. I have the fortune of working with amazing entrepreneurs so funny enough i actually met them at the startup weekend that they came together with carousel it actually started at a startup weekend event they were friends kind of brainstorming on what to work on so I was into photography saying like oh maybe there's a kind of something that we could do to help sell photo equipment so funny enough i had actually been placed as a mentor with them but that was just a weekend and then kind of like as most startup weekends nothing happens out of it so i didn't kind of follow back cut to a few months later i'm also a mentor with nus enterprise and they're an nus enterprise startup I got assigned to them formally to, to mentor them over a few months. And basically, we spent almost eight months uh, working together on a weekly basis to basically work on user retention and growth. Uh, that's my background. That's what I did at my last company. was basically, how do you bring new users in and how do you keep them coming back? And so when I met Carousel, they had a lot of spikes in traffic because, you know, Technasia, E27 would cover them. They'd get a lot of traffic and then it would die off. So I could tell that they were able to get users, but they weren't able to retain them. Hmm. So we spent a, a lot of time actually working on that retention uh, campaign. And all of a sudden, things started sticking. People were posting to social media, email notifications growing out. And they started getting this beautiful curve that just has not stopped. And it's been a really amazing story to kind of, again, be on the sidelines now in terms of where they've come and just see that growth.
0: Mm. funded by sequoia six million recently
1: yeah Um, so yeah so that that was a great story for singapore in terms of you know sequoia is number one firm if not the number one one of the top firms in the valley and so to have them come in and now they've done a few investments in the region that to me is a really really huge win not only for singapore and southeast asia but for carousel
0: Mm. And they also have an angel investor by the name of Darius Chung, who actually used to have the first startup called TenCube cube that was acquired by McAfee and then he started uh, 99.co which I think you are, is also part of your portfolio as well.
1: Yes so, yeah we invest in 99co and again it's because we invest in great entrepreneurs. Darius is a, a force in the Singapore ecosystem so not only was he kind of a first generation of building out a company going to the U.S., getting acquired by a large U.S. company, coming back, and then basically becoming an angel investor, investing himself, and building multiple companies after that. So to me, that type of person is what has made Silicon Valley what it is today. It just happens to be six or seven generations in. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Darius, and and, and he's not the only one here, there's many others like Darius, Um, they're kind of the first generation that are serial entrepreneurs, angel investors, and, you know, keep building things moving forward so he was an early investor he's very 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 helpful hands-on puts himself uh, out there for how he can help
0: then there is one company i thought has a very interesting history which is nitrous and they are actually doing online development environment they moved from singapore to san francisco so what's the story behind nitrous then N-
1: nitrous again a <laughs> great team met actually at a hackathon i threw super happy dev house mm-hmm. when i was just traveling through singapore and so i ended up throwing this two-day all-night party hackathon nitrous had a different name at the time but they basically built an app that weekend that ended up winning the hackathon we kind of stayed in touch they started working on this new product nitrous and i would say even though i'm a former developer computer engineer i, I didn't get the tech of it 100 percent at first but I did not know that, and so did Jeff, and you know, this was a joint decision, it wasn't just me, but mm. we, we both knew that these are three really, really talented guys. When we saw other developers see what they were working on and saw their mouths drop, we knew that, okay, these guys are on to something. Um, they had indicated to us from day one that they wanted to move to the Valley. And that's some, one of our selling points is, we're not trying to move a company to a valley, but if to the valley. But if a company does want to go to San Francisco, and we can be helpful with that, that's what we like to do. They even actually wrote about us on, on TechCrunch that we were just kind of helpful with every from everything of like finding an apartment, uh, like kind Airbnb when they first went there, to actually making a whole bunch of investor intros and helping them raise that first round in the valley.
0: Mm. And they got invested by Bessemer, was the most recent round. Uh, Series A round and also I think probably with what they were developing it is better off that they were in the valley than be in Asia
1: Yeah, I think so They're what they're developing is something that other startups use so people here in Asia can use them But the reality is the density of startups in San Francisco that use their product is huge That's actually one of the reasons why they were invested by Bessemer one of Bessemer's investments was a customer of uh, nitrous and basically told Bessemer, like, hey, you should look at these guys. What they're doing is really
0: cool. We have been very biased. We talk about only Singapore, but yeah. you are a Southeast Asia investor. And I'm pretty sure there are much more interesting companies. So I'm going to start with Indonesia. Okay. Tell me about Belmer.
1: they, I don't, I don't like a great company. They're doing online baby related products so diapers milk formula toys clothing you know very similar model in the us diapers.com mm. which went public was acquired by amazon what they've done is basically taken on it looked to other markets taken on existing ideas something like a diapers.com and applied it to indonesia they've localized it not only in the offering but in the way things are done in terms of logistics and payments, motorcycle deliveries rather than trucks, cash on delivery, things of that nature. The two founders, they are serial entrepreneurs. They actually started a company before which Rocket Internet acquired. So that also makes our decision very easy when we're looking at a company. If founders have worked together before, have started a company and have had a successful exit. That's a pretty easy decision to make in terms of wanting to back them. Even if they haven't had a successful exit as somebody who's had a failure in my past and had to shut down a company, if a team has worked together, has shut down a company, and starts another company together, I'm very, very interested in seeing how we can partner with them because that's a huge life lesson that's learned if you can stick together through thick and thin there's a good chance you're going to do really really
0: well in life how about in terms of the e-commerce scene that's actually exploding now in indonesia uh, would you see more of the equivalent i mean bernard does something like diapers.com would you see the equivalent of say something like shoe dazzle honest.com you know all the different kinds or even like the guild group or fab turning up in indonesia they have different
1: flavors so there's been versions of these that have already come and gone in like the past year and a half Mm. Um, so it's not just taking the idea it is the right mixture of taking the idea having the right founding team that sets it up and then localizing it Correctly. You know, just doing, you know, fab.com doesn't work in all these markets. So a lot of times you have to put a different twist. It, and it, when I say localizing, it's more than, cha- you know, translating the language. It is making it work for the local buying behaviors or the local workflows of the country.
0: Then how about this company called Coda Pay, which is in Philippines, right? Originally, uh, Or where where uh, they originate? Because I don't know where it originated. Actually.
1: Yeah, uh, good question. So their biggest market is Indonesia. Technically, they started here in Singapore
0: Okay. Um,
1: with the idea is they basically set up their structure in Singapore. Their second country was Malaysia, their third country was Indonesia, uh, and oh. Indonesia is where they have the strongest presence.
0: What did they actually do? Are they kind of like a payment aggregator or yeah. something like a PayPal? So they're mobile payments,
1: so they basically allow you to buy things online like Google Play credits, gaming credits for you know, games like Steam by deducting minutes from your phone. So if you're an Indosat customer in Indonesia. And you want to buy something on Google Play, you know, upgrade your Angry Birds. If you don't have a credit card, there's no way of doing that. Coda Payments allows you to, to dock $5 worth of minutes from your prepaid phone, which you may be topping up weekly, and convert that into Google Play dollars. Mm-hmm. So uh, to me, they are basically PayPal localized for these markets where people don't have credit cards, but need to make payments and need to move money around.
0: I know why I mentioned Philippines, because I mix it up with a company called Senda, which is actually yes. remittance payments for Philippines.
1: Y- yes. Uh, and so Senda is the product and the parent company name is Ayana, uh, who's based in the Philippines, who helps handle uh, remittance payments being sent back to the Philippines. Mm.
0: That's a virtually a very big industry. Big- <laughs>
1: Yeah, remittance worldwide is huge, and there's a lot of Filipinos living abroad. I mean, not only Singapore, but US, Hong Kong, uh, Middle East, and so they're all sending money back, and Ayana had a very, very creative solution. Option one is you go to Western Union, you pay a $15 fee, you send cash back. Option two is you buy something for somebody in the Philippines. So Ayana allows you to buy something for your family, friends, loved ones, whether that is from the largest mall that's spread across uh, all the islands, which is SM, or that's topping up minutes, or that's buying like a birthday party for your niece or nephew at Jollibee. Uh, It allows somebody living abroad to basically use different payment methods to buy something in the Philippines and then not have to pay a $15 transaction fee. There's basically zero fee. And Ayana does revenue sharing affiliate programs, referral fees with these kind of e-commerce websites or retail shops.
0: There's one more company that I thought I should ask you because we talk about JFDI as an incubator. Yep. So there's TradeGetCo. How did? you decided to invest in them. I mean, the founders are actually from New Zealand and then they're based in Singapore. Correct. So yeah,
1: so the founders are from New Zealand. One reason why JFDI is an amazing program is that it attracts talent from around the world. So they heard about the JFDI program. They joined the first batch. I've been a mentor since day one of JFDI. Uh, so I've gotten to know a lot of the teams really, really well. Worked closely with the Trade Gecko team. They actually went through a pivot about halfway through the semester. Again, this is something I appreciate. I love it when companies realize one direction is not working. Let's change it. They kind of hit on a very interesting opportunity, which is you have wholesalers and retailers and large manufacturers in this part of the world that are selling to the West, you know, the U.S. and Europe and e-commerce sites, but. It's all done through email and excel basically i look at TradeGecko. gecko it's inventory management software but i look at it as software that's displacing microsoft excel through one vertical which is inventory management you know you have other software that displays excel through for accounting or payroll but they do it through inventory management so what people were doing via emailing sp- spreadsheets back and forth TradeGecko gecko made into a dashboard intelligent automatic could talk to multiple parties, could plug in with different software. And they've built a global product now that is something in like 60 countries. US is their biggest country in terms of customer Mm -hmm. base. And they've grown the team huge. I mean, they just moved into their fourth office, I believe.
0: Of course, I think that with all these investments, they are very exciting. They have very interesting histories I also know that you have a couple of exits too. Yeah,
1: I mean, through the, the partners, we mm. companies that we've invested in before formally coming together with Golden Gate, uh, yeah. we've, we've had a few exits.
0: Correct. So one of them was TM Gamer that was acquired by Singtel. Yes. Um, another one was called App Bristol that was acquired by EMobi etc so i guess now now that we talk about your companies i guess one of the interesting thing i sort of thought you came from the us you've seen the whole southeast asia there will be some reflections on how the whole ecosystem is like how do you see in terms of culture in terms of the attitude to failure in terms of the pay it forward has there been any changes since you landed here now setting up here in fact your kid is born here
1: Yeah, there's been massive, massive changes. So where can I even start? You mentioned in terms of the attitude. So one of the reasons I'm here in Singapore was the first night I arrived on the island, I quickly went, what what events are happening? Saw an event happening at Hackerspace, went down to watch it. It was Danny Tan talking to about 40 business students, a mix of NUS and SMU students. He asked the question, how many of you want to start your own company? Out of 40 business students, no one raised their hand. And so he actually called in somebody and said, why didn't you raise your hand? And the student said, because I need more experience first. And Dan, I mean, this is what I agree with. And Danny went on to say that, you know, if I asked this question at Stanford, everybody would raise their hands. And in the Valley, you have this mentality of, I'm young, but I can still take on the world. I can change things. And so that's one example where I saw black and white, one version that I couldn't believe existed, that, you know, there wasn't this raw entrepreneurial enthusiasm But underneath the surface, I could kind of feel that it was, you know, people were throwing a lot of events. people wanted to help each other. So I could kind of taste it, but I didn't see it at the surface. To today, I mean, the number of companies that you have, you know, startups that are started while kids are still in university, and then Carousel is a great example. You know, they started that while they were still in university. It's a completely different world. You know, starting a company is sexy. You know, people want to do that. The mindset of, you know, I need to take a career path, first it is changing. So that's really amazing. So I've seen that change. In terms of the mentality of the investors, I mean, the number of firms you have online now. So, you know, there's been firms like Jungle Ventures, Wavemaker Labs that have been around for a number of years. And you have these brand new Series A funds like Monks Hill Ventures and Silicon Island that have just come on online this year that are going to invest, you know, collectively a few hundred million into the market it's just amazing. This just did not exist a few years ago. How about
0: so the culture towards failure? I know you are one of the organizers of the first FailCon yeah. in Singapore. Will Christine? Yes. <laughs> uh, how do you see that have changed too? I mean, Christine and I had this conversation about zombie companies. And I think part of my social duty in the last two years was actually I spent time talking to some founders and convinced them to shut down their companies. Just
1: a few things. For me, failure... It, Coming from the valley, failure is a badge of honor. It's something that 99% of entrepreneurs go through. The one percent that don't, it's not because they're smarter. It's they're just lucky. Like, you know, we're all comfortable failing. You know, we you play a video game, you fail 20 times before you get to the next level. That's part of learning. So for me, failure is part of learning. Uh, failure means you're taking risk. I invest in risk, so it, it's a. That's why we kind of put on Failcon. It's like to me, it's a it's a positive thing, and people should be failing that being said the mentality the reason why we threw it on is we did feel at the time you know when we the first one was 2011 or 2012 that failure was a taboo uh and people didn't accept it with wide open arms i think that's changed now as well uh it's it's not to the level of the valley but people are much much more comfortable with the idea that shutting down a company isn't the worst thing in the world you know t- going back to your investors and saying this didn't work out isn't the worst thing in the world you know going back to danny tan at the who was giving the talk at hackerspace at that time he had a startup i'm blanking on its name right now but he ended up shutting it down it was invested by uh joey Jane, yeah yeah Joe, it's joey called Ico. found at found, that point thank on. you yep, yeah. so right there that, that's a great that's an entrepreneur that he built something he raised some money ended up shutting it down, has now built a wildly successful startup hip fan that's growing like gangbusters. And it's all to me is part of the process. It's part of the learning process. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen much more acceptance for failure. I still don't think it's, it, it's not to the level of the valley, but that's okay. It, it's been improved greatly
0: how about in terms of infrastructure i mean there's a very interesting post from your team um justin yep. hall and he was talking about a little bit about legal because i think that in southeast asia the kind of structures we have are not as sophisticated as in the valley so in terms of doing series a agreements across in different parts of southeast asia how do you see those kind of infrastructural challenges
1: the challenges basically it, you know it so in singapore it singapore is one of the easiest places to set up a business mm. it's one of the most transparent structures comparing it to u.s valley law though it still doesn't have all the structures like employee stock option pools work a little bit differently so it's not a hundred percent what i'm used to but other than that it is one of the easiest places to do business mm-hmm. that being said now once you start stepping into other markets things become very challenging things become challenging because of regulation in places like indonesia or vietnam things become challenging because concepts you know uh what boards look like or uh employee contracts they don't always translate from one country and this you know if you were this is why u.s investors only invest in the u.s they don't invest in canada they don't invest in france it's because there's different structures legally in in all these countries and they're not sure what to look out for that makes it really really difficult and we've had to take a very liberal view and say you know what you know, screw it. We're just going to look at every country, spend the extra time, the extra effort, and kind of learn the structures and the issues as we go along. Mm -hmm. One thing that we've done to help kind of alleviate any really big surprises is every time we do an investment, we try to bring in a local investor. Somebody in that country who's been doing investments, has started companies that kind of knows the ins and outs of what needs to be in a legal agreement. By bringing that person in, that's really, really helped us not lose our shirts when investing in across the region
0: mm. then how about things like payment systems i mean smithy and i always talk about the problem with payments across the region um i guess startups also have the same challenge particularly for sas there's no common payment systems in southeast asia how, how do you see that i mean you invested in Coda Pay, so you uh, think that that problem can be solved soon
1: as an entrepreneur i love challenges and so payments to me is the largest challenge and therefore it is the biggest opportunity solving payments issues in this region is a billion if not multi-billion dollar opportunity i don't think there's going to be a one solution fits all most of our portfolio the number one type of thing we invest into are payment related startups they all have different flavors and are attacking different geographies because basically people don't have credit cards in a large part of this region or maybe they do have credit cards but they're scared of using it for fraud and they want to pay with a different method all of these are challenges for you know a paypal coming into the region but for me are opportunities for a local startup who wants to tackle that challenge it definitely is scary because you have to deal with regulation and governments and it's different from country to country but that means the person who does tackle it has the biggest prize
0: to win. How about talent and compensation then? Talent and compensation, Mm. uh, good question. Yeah, so talent is a bit scarce in this part of the world. I mean, unlike the valley where you can have someone who works in Facebook, who still have the kind of fire in the belly to work for a startup, because they think that that would be the new Facebook. There's this shifting of talent within the startups to the big boys. I think it's beginning to happen, but I think you see it more from the ground level. How do you see in terms of talent i know for sure because i'm singaporean and i know a lot of my counterparts are afraid of things like stock options (laughs) as well so
1: it's mixed on many levels so first and foremost i i think there's smart people everywhere and so there's incredibly talented people here you know silicon valley is a magnet it attracts talented people from around the world all into one place So it's nothing about the water it's not people natively in san francisco are talented it's that it attracts the best of the best from around the world into one city that being said so now there's smart people everywhere they're here uh you know i don't think there's necessarily uh, a greater talent issue here than other places if you ask any startup in san francisco what is your bigger problem they will say hiring engineers. So that's a universal problem. So you could be in the city with the best engineers in the world, with the largest pool of engineers, but the reality is you're competing against every other company. You know, a startup will be pissed at Facebook because they're paying an engineer you know, $180,000 a year and they're saying, how can I compete with that? I'm a, I'm a startup or uh, a hot startup that just raised money, stealing people from another startup. So it's a super, super competitive in the Valley. And that is the number one pain point a startup would say would be engineering talent in the Valley. So to me, that's universal. So people complain about that here, people complain about in the Valley. Mm. Might be for different reasons, but it, it's the same complaint. Mm. Um, where I do see a difference is people working with the latest and greatest tools. So in San Francisco, you know, if you're a developer, you're generally really, really well-versed in kind of the best methodologies, the best platforms, frameworks that are out there that may only be like four days old, but you're talking with your friends about that, you're using it, you're learning through osmosis. I think the farther you step away from the valley, the slower that information travels, even though it's on the internet, there's still a human component to it. And so what you may not have here is people using kind of the latest, greatest frameworks or the most efficient kind of you know programming methods. And so that overall can slow down a startup in terms of their growth. But there are really, really talented engineers coming out of the universities across the region, Vietnam, Indonesia, Singapore, Philippines. I don't see it as a big issue here. Um, I just see it as a universal issue worldwide.
0: Okay, so if you were to look at it now, And then if you project it to maybe another five years time, would you see a more robust, I mean, now, I mean, Series A is just in the beginning. And I think in Singapore, I think you can see Series C onwards, actually. I think when a company hits Series C, there isn't a problem raising any money. Would you see that the entire spectrum will start to uh, fill up and then we have the variety from there?
1: Yeah, I do. So I I, I see the the spectrum has been pretty full. So, or... It hasn't been full. I see the spectrum as basically full now in 2015. The reason why, yes, yeah, Series C or later is easy to fundraise is because if you're big enough to be raising, you know, 50 plus million dollars, you obviously have grown quite big. You have a lot of revenue in the book. An international foreign investor is gonna take a view at you. So that's why at the very top level, it's easy. Mm. But now you have Singapore government has just poured in tons of money and created all these kind of seed early stage investments you have at least three, maybe five Series A funds that just came online or are coming online this year, Golden Gate Ventures being one of them with, with with a Series A fund. And then so that middle ground Series B, I'm talking to a lot of firms in the valley that are becoming interested in this region. And they're there to plug the gap, fill the holes for Series B that if you would have asked anybody raising Series A over the past two years, I think not 10 out of 10 CEOs would have said that was incredibly difficult. That has already changed. And I don't hear them complaining as much on Series B. They definitely have doors to knock on. They might not be here locally, but there's a lot of foreign investment from China to Japan to the US that is looking at this region
0: that will be very exciting so i definitely have to get you back to tell me what has happened after a while so Vinny, tell our audience how do they find you on the internet are they google search you <laughs> uh,
1: uh, twitter best way to reach out to me is you know tweet to me at VLoria. loria uh, i like twitter because it allows me to basically respond in a and I'll have a lot of people see it uh you can email me but uh, it, the reality is, like most people these days, I'm just flooded in email, so I will be very, very slow to respond. If you you have a great company and you want to pitch us, we have an amazing channel for that over email. Just email hello at GoldenGate.VC uh, and there's a team of people checking that account that will basically take you to the next step of, all right, let's start learning about this company. Let's learn what you're building. We love meeting great entrepreneurs. The best way to get connected with us is usually through an intro. I mean, between Jeff and myself, we put ourselves out there across seven or eight countries. So you're never that far. You should be one degree connected to us. So we always love getting connected through an intro. Cool.
0: And you can find me at C W or at com. You can follow Analyze Asia at, at Analyze Asia with an S or analyzeasia.com. Anyway, thank you Vinny for coming on the show. Thank you, Bernard. See you soon.
1: See you soon.